Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. Let's go to Genesis 42. I'm going to read for us the first 11 verses to begin and kind of set the context in the narrative. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them. But he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where did you come from? He said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. They said to him, no, my Lord, your, servant have come, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. Let's pause there. May God bless the reading, the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of his word today. Let's talk for a minute about context. It's important because the story doesn't just begin each week with each chapter, but we're entering into the story at a specific place. And I want you to consider for a moment the looming head-on collision collision that we are moving towards. If you'll remember, Joseph has been uh, separated from his family for going on 14 or so years now because his brothers didn't like the dream that he told them about. They sold him into slavery, who sold him into slavery in Egypt. In Egypt, he uh, was recognized for his ability, but falsely accused of some injustices against people, thrown into prison, and he was found in the lowest part of the prison. But in the lowest of the lowest parts of prison, He was not forgotten by God, but through his own honoring of God and his gifting and serving of others, God raised him, and now he is the second in command in all the land of Egypt. In other words, Pharaoh's not doing anything because Joseph is in charge of everything, and he doesn't have to worry about it. And so that's where we find him. Jacob is back in Canaan. And he's concerned for his family's well-being. I mean, there's a famine in the land. Food is scarce and the reality of it is beginning to set in. And so he's forced by the famine to send his sons to Egypt to buy food. And listen, for for Jacob, he's headed for this head-on collision as much as any. He is about to learn that his son, whom for 14 or so years, whom he thought was devoured by a wild beast, is actually alive. Good news, isn't it? Until he learns that his other ten sons are the one that fabricated the lie and deceived him. And they've been living in his house all this time. His sons, well, they're about to be exposed in their lie. And they're about to have to face their brother 
whom they treated so unjustly, and their father, whom they lied to and deceived. And yet they don't even know it. They don't even know it. But they're about to stand before him needing his help. Finally, there is Joseph. Joseph, who we've talked about, and he is about to be confronted by his brothers that sold him into slavery. And without doubt, in this new position that he has attained, likely that's helped him forget many of the wrongs against him in the past. His life is maybe not everything he at first thought, but, but he's been able to gain some ground and he's found some success in what he's doing. But friends, when his brothers appear in an instant, 14 years of suffering will wash back over him like a tsunami of emotion. And any relief and any reward that he has found in his position in Egypt will be threatened by their surprise appearance. You see, Joseph became justified in Egypt. But his prior injustices against him by his family were all past that he'd been forced to deal with alone. And had managed to deal with them in the only way he could to continue to move forward and And just come to grips with the fact that there probably wouldn't be ever an opportunity for reconciliation until now. You know, the question beckons upon us, how is it that one proceeds when confronted by such an unresolved past and a painful relationship? And you might say to me today, well, pastor, I was doing okay until you brought it up. But I'm telling you, friends, if it's been left unresolved, unreconciled, if you've not found peace with it, I'm not the one that brought it up. God is not going to leave you incomplete in salvation. Now, you could ignore it and keep going because we all know when you ignore your problems, they just magically disappear, right? No. And tell me this, sidebar here, total sidebar, rabbit chasing trail. Why is it that we all know problems don't disappear when we ignore them and yet we often choose that as our first course of action it doesn't happen what happens is it only buries the embers to continue the destruction under the surface maybe we can gloat maybe we uh, like Joseph he, he could do here we could show how well we've done irregardless of what the offenses of others were against us and my point to you today that would be a terrible idea too because all you're doing is what James warns us not to do you're returning evil for evil And you're returning evil against yourself when you do it. It's not a path to reconciliation nor restoration. Any response, friends, that is pride-fueled, whether it's a response of self-pity and you take that victim mentality, even with Joseph, Joseph was clearly the victim, okay? But my argument is this. If he were to take the victim mentality, that is a pride-fueled perspective that will only do greater damage in his seeking of vengeance and it will destroy him more internally. It is self-pity is fueled by pride. On the other side, he could be fueled by pride and gloat. Look how well I've done for myself. I don't need you. I didn't need you. And I'm not going to let you in now. And get revenge out of his position from that. Neither of those will work here. Any response of self-pity or pride will be harmful for all. 
involved. You see, friends, the gospel is God's power for salvation. That's what Romans chapter 1 tells us. We are reconciled to God through Jesus. And 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that we are empowered with the message. We're given the message and the ministry of reconciliation by God. God's love set on us in Jesus Christ, verse 14, controls us. It it compels us to be people of reconciliation. And this is no small matter. We're happy to labor for reconciliation as long as it's yours with someone else that I don't have to get involved in. But when it becomes personal, it gets hard really fast. But if God has reconciled us, and he has, that's a very small if. Because he has. There is no wrong we suffer that the gospel can't reconcile for us, in us, and with us. Christ followers are compelled by God's love in Jesus Christ to labor for reconciliation. You see, reconciliation to God in salvation becomes our ultimate standard and our model. But reconciliation in this world with people does not always look identical to our salvation. We're not laboring for salvation. We're laboring because of salvation. And I want us to look at this process, this carrying it out. And we have to ask, how is it then that we labor for reconciliation that honors God in reflection for what he has done for us? You see, lies enslave us, they deceive us, and they destroy us. But only truth can deliver us, only truth can heal us, only truth can restore us from the destruction of lies. And the first step towards reconciliation becomes discerning truth. So here's what I want you to remember today. God makes wise and full of grace those who discern truth for gospel reconciliation to honor his name. God makes wise and full of grace those who discern truth for gospel reconciliation to honor his name. I want to invite you today into what I believe God wants to do in your heart and in your life It won't end at the end of the hour when we're finished here. But I can tell you the one who will bring it to an end will ensure that its end will be a blessing for you and for all who are involved. I want to identify today four dangers that undermine God-honoring relationships. And the reason we discern truth is to guard against these four dangers. So in the process of discernment for truth, There are four dangers we must guard against so we do not undermine honoring God in the way we labor for reconciliation. So what what happens here? Well, Jacob sends Joseph's 10 brothers to Egypt to buy grain. I want you to note who is participating in this story. The 10 brothers. The 10 brothers are the same 10 brothers that in agreement with one another sold Joseph into slavery. You see, when God reconciles, it is a complete reconciliation. The participants here are the participants that were included there. Why is this important? Because the family is shown to still be living under the deception of the past sin. Jacob is still a man fueled by his own fearfulness. And and he expresses it here by guarding Benjamin, the, the son that he loves, because of what he thinks happened to the other son that he loved. 
And when they appear before Joseph here, they bow down. And, and friends, in chapter 42, when they bow down in verse 6 and following, Joseph saw them bow down. And immediately he didn't just say, these are my brothers who wronged me. But in recognizing them, he realized his dream had been fulfilled. His focus was not on his brothers. They were participants. His focus was upon what God had told him in his dream. And his focus helps us to understand his aim in all of this. They did not recognize him. And so what does Joseph immediately do? He accuses them of being spies. You're spies and you've come to see the weaknesses of our land. Well, that's a fine hello. That's a fine way to welcome your brothers after so many years, right? And they deny, say, no, 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 we are honest men. Well, that's a lie. I am living proof of that lie, right? We're just here because we're hungry. And so he has them thrown in prison. Well, we've gotten off to a big start here, have we not? But the first thing that we see is this first danger, friends, that threatens to undermine reconciliation but is in the process of discernment. The first danger is this. It's pride over present position that prevents confronting the past. Now hear me, most of you have never ruled Egypt. And so we can be inclined to think that this won't immediately apply to us, but I tell you, nothing could be further from the truth. This first danger that threatens to undermine reconciliation between Joseph and his brothers is the first temptation that Joseph is faced with. Fourteen years he has suffered because of his brothers, but in that time he finally, towards the end of it, attained a position of great privilege. Here he was. I mean, the the scriptures already told us nothing happened in Egypt without Joseph's stamp of approval. That's a lot of power. He sat in a position second only to Pharaoh himself. And now his 10 brothers are bowing down before him. 14 years of wrongs against him prove that he was right in the very beginning. Don't tell me that the temptation to pride in this moment was not beyond large. He is right and it is now proven right and when they find out who he is they'll know it themselves joseph is confronted by his past and he must decide how he will proceed so what is he to do you see in that moment we can become thankful and so often we become so thankful in our lives to get past our past that we guard against ever having to return to deal with it again We just want to forget what got left behind. We may not gain the position that Joseph gained. We may not be proved right in our perspective. We may even be proved wrong. We may never get the power to fully exact justifying vengeance in our own mind. But pride tempts us in this way to guard against any threat of having to revisit the past that we've already gotten past. And you see, any pride in our advancement can cause one to think it's just not worth worth the risk to bother with it. Do you know how many people would have to be uh, inconvenienced in order to redo this? Well, here, it's one brother and ten brothers with a father and a younger brother still at home. But let me tell you what happens when we take this approach. The weight of hurt in us acts like a millstone around our neck trying to swim in the sea of life. 
so that any unreconciled memory about it sinks us, whether we've ever been confronted by it or not. Problems don't go away because we ignore them. But faith in Jesus reminds us that our reconciliation to God means that he works reconciliation with others through us. And it may not all be perfect in this life as our salvation with God is. Listen to me. But it can remove the stain of guilt, the stain of shame, of hurt, and of bitterness that continues to hinder and harm us in this life. That's what we're laboring for here. We'll only later learn why Joseph did all that he's doing. We don't know in the immediacy of the text exactly why he is doing. There is a great potential here for him to be exacting vengeance on his brothers. And that would be wrong. But I'm making the argument that we see enough to know that's not the path that he is taking. And we'll see that as we continue to move forward. His danger here is to let his pride rule, whether in pity or in gloating, and cause him to guard his pain instead of trusting God to discern truth and to seek reconciliation. Two phrases, I argue, indicate that he is avoiding this first danger and discerning truth, and it's this. He recognized his brothers. He remembered his dreams. He recognized his brothers. He remembered his dreams. As we've talked about throughout our study with Joseph, his dreams have carried him at significant times. And his dreams and his looking to God for the interpretation of those dreams has been a leading indicator for him to keep his eyes and his heart focused on God and what he's doing and not get muddled under the mire of his mess. And that's what I believe the text is telling us here. His lingering memory of hurt and pain was not absent. That's so important, friends. His memory of his pain was not absent. But neither was it greater than the Lord's grace at work in his life. And likely it was the Holy Spirit inviting him in to discern truth and pursue God's healing. So often in these moments when we're faced with the temptation of this first danger, our prayer becomes, God, just help me forget my past. That's not the prayer God wants you to pray. God's inviting you to pray, Lord, I want to look to you to redeem it. It doesn't mean you'll look back on it and ever be proud about it. But it will mean that you can remember it or be reminded of it and not feel the same weight of sin, shame, guilt, condemnation that it once brought to you. And you can see that is a place God has transformed me. God has made me a different man because of that. God has made me a different woman because of that. I don't ever want to have to go through it again, but I won't ever forget the lesson I've learned coming through it. What's that lesson? God is sufficient. You see, godly wisdom reminds us that God reconciled us to him by grace and truth so we can discern truth to give grace for reconciliation with others. Now, Joseph didn't use his accusation to protect his position or power, but rather he's using it to discern truth and their intent. And that brings us to the second danger that we must guard against in the process of reconciliation. It's this. Do we taunt to inflict 
whether it's blame or suffering or harm or revenge, or do we test to discern? I want to ask the question, what is Joseph doing here? Is he taunting his brothers to inflict something on them that they inflicted on him? Or is he testing them to discern the truth? I think it's a question we have to ask. It's surely a danger we must be intentional to avoid. Joseph is testing his brothers and so he decides to hold one in custody while the others return to bring to him. In verse 18, he, brings, he comes back out to him and says, here's what I'll do, boys. He brings him out of prison. He says, all of you get to go back to your father, but you're going to bring him back to me. And to ensure that you do bring him back to me, because I don't trust you yet, I'm going to put one of you in prison. And he chooses Simeon. Now, again, I want to remind you, if you go back and you look at those who were mentioned in the afflicting of the offense against Joseph, you will find their names repeated in the same order here. Why? Because the writer is showing us how God is meticulous to work through every detail. He is not going to leave any stone burdened around your neck of condemnation or shame. He's going to redeem every last bit of it so you can put a yoke on that is light in Jesus Christ. And it tells us Reuben, who was the first to speak up and go, fellas, I don't think we ought to do this. I don't think it's right. His blood is going to be on our hands. Here we see Simeon is put in prison. Why? Well, because prison is where you go when you do what you did to his brother. God is working through every detail here and bringing it back. And that's what we're seeing And knowing that their father will not agree, it creates quite a tense discussion between them. And the test exposes their lie and exposes their fear. You see, here they are huddled in the huddle going, okay, what are we going to do? Simeon evidently is going to have to stay here. They don't know that's Joseph. They don't know that Joseph can understand what they're saying. Not even the interpreter for Joseph understands that that's the, big, or that's the brother that got wronged by them. The only one in this situation that knows what's going on is Joseph. But here's what he hears. This is because of what we did to him. Reuben repeats the same warning he gave 14 years ago when he says this is because of the blood that we are guilty of, of our little brother. Didn't know that was Joseph. He just knew payback was coming. Why? Because he felt it here. He felt it here. That's where we feel un resolved sin in our life. We know it. It is a burning coal in us of guilt and condemnation. And so in front of them, their lies are exposed, their fears are exposed that has ruled their family for the last 13 years. And while they've probably had plenty of days when they were all acting like everything was fine, their family was anything but fine. You see, in this discussion, they admit their guilt and wrong over what they'd done. I want you to pay attention As the brothers come forth, Reuben came forth. They didn't know Joseph wasn't dead, didn't know he was present, nor that he could understand them. And so he binds Simeon. And why is he doing that? He's displaying the seriousness of his words and his actions. You see, he's got to apply such a plan that forces them, not just affords them the opportunity to offer words that reconcile, but affords them the opportunity to reconcile the situation. But even at this discovery, when they're on their way back, 
It tells us Joseph didn't intend them harm. Why? Because he not only put grain in their sacks, he put all their money back in their sacks too. And they didn't know why. Halfway back, they find the money in their sacks. But even this blessing, listen to me, friends. When you live with unresolved guilt and shame and condemnation from sin in your life, even when somebody tries to bless you, it curses you. Because when you throw a blanket of blessing over a burning coal, it's going to get burned too. And that's what's happening here. Even at the discovery, it became another weight of guilt. Oh no, what's going on here? God himself is against us, they said. Actually, he's for you. And guilt from their sin resists even the blessing. So everything only heaps on more condemnation and shame. We should not overlook the value of Joseph's test here for discernment, friends. He could have easily used it to taunt his brothers and heap on more guilt and shame. But by his reaction, we know that wasn't his intent, that he's testing to discern their own status and their intent. Because his intent can't really be matched until he knows what theirs is. And they've proven over the last 14 years not to be worthy of trust. They even lied to him when they stood before him, telling him, I'm not a liar. Imagine what that sounds like to God when we say that to him. (laughs) Okay, Mm mm-hmm. So Joseph is in that position to take advantage, but instead of taking advantage, he gives opportunity. Opportunity to build trust. His motives are revealed as pure because he can't shortcut to reconciliation without proving their intentions. Doesn't matter how much he wants it until he knows that's what they desire and are willing to enter into. He can't make it happen. And in the moment you realize that you have the upper hand Even when you're right, it is important to only extend grace and to pursue reconciliation and not to use the upper hand for personal gain. You see, testing to discern true intentions is important for trust because that's the only way to build reconciliation on truth is to be able to trust one another. So Joseph's test was one of his words. He tests, uh, his test identifies and averts Uh, Our third danger for us, which is this, it's truth, or excuse me, trust that is based on shallow words versus truth. Trust that is based on shallow words versus truth. So what if he had just short-circuited the whole situation and said, okay, guys, I'm Joseph, it's all good, let's forget about it. Their their whole process of, of repentance would not have been fulfilled. It would not have had to have been fulfilled. It could have been, but he couldn't verify that. They came to Egypt to buy food and the security of their lives were at risk from starvation. The words they offered formed the foundation for any trust Joseph could place in them. And the only thing he could trust right now was that they were hungry. That they were hungry. Therefore, he had to establish whether their words were true and honest or just shallow feelings of fear. It's funny how fear will make us say whatever we need to say to get accomplished what we believe the end game to be. Fear makes terrible relational foundation. Living out of constantly maneuvering in the relationship. I'll do this because I'm afraid if I don't, this might happen. Man, I mean, it's just a weight you can never let go. You're constantly shifting the situation. You're never settling. There's no stability in it. And, and friends, just because the brothers said what they said did not mean that it reflected their true intent. They lived in the lie for years. Who's to say they weren't automatically out of it now? 
And until he could verify his word, their words were not sufficient for his trust. So he's testing to discern and, and discern for truth so that the trust he placed in them would be on a foundation that could withstand it, a foundation that is solid for relationships. Can I, can I offer a principle for relationships here for us? The depth or extent of trust that you place in any relationship should always be proportionate to the depth of knowledge that relationship is built upon. And you'll see that little word there, truth verified. Any relationship you have, and there are, I mean, from the, the, the deepest relationship of life on earth, which is marriage, to even acquaintanceship, the extent of trust that you bestow upon people, friends, should never be out of proportion to the depth of your knowledge. Truth verified in that relationship. Yes, you have to extend trust to people. And there are, are ways in which you can go about that. But the problem is when we overextend, when, when our relational strength that should be built on intimacy, a deepening knowledge that's rooted between persons. But, but when we extend trust on shallow words, it makes us naive and vulnerable to deception and to damage. We overextend ourselves in ways that become damaging for us and others. But trust that is built on truth builds strong relationship. Also reminds us why accountability is important. Because we all need help. Never place trust in words based on how they make us feel. This is another big movement today with social media. If somebody's words make us feel good, we think we can trust them. Because of simple, shallow words offered. Never do that. That, that. That's damaging for you. Put trust based in how we know a person to be that speaks those words. We, we're, we're, we're installing elders. Well, why are we doing that? Because the Bible teaches you install pastors based on character. Because character reveals the heart of the individual. It doesn't mean they're perfect. But it means that they have demonstrated trustworthiness. And so often we build our life on shifting sands, shallow words. Truth verified and a person accountable remains the only healthy way to build or to reconcile a relationship. That's what Joseph is laboring for here. And he gives his brothers the benefit of the doubt. So there is an extension of trust there to a limit. But not without holding them accountable to the only one he could trust, his father. He knew that was the anchoring point of the situation because his father was innocent in regards to the brokenness between he and his brothers. And he allowed them the opportunity to prove their words, to write the lies from their past, and to restore truth in the relationship so that he could trust them. That's the process here. Restored trust would become the bond for reconciliation between them. Again, be careful that you do not build a relationship by trust and shallow words, but discern truth for your trust. Reconciliation to God in the gospel is by the one who is truth, Jesus Christ. God does not require blind faith of us, but he reveals truth himself to us that we might believe in him as the basis for our reconciliation with him. This highlights the importance of truth as the foundation for our trust. If God reconciles by truth, how can we accomplish more on less? We begin by discerning truth because there is no reconciliation that is true 
without truth. And that's what Joseph is modeling for us, that truth in relationships that produces reconciliation begins not by our determination, okay, that's enough, we'll go forward with it, but rather by our discernment of truth. We must guard against accepting shallow words to avoid our own inconvenience, our own challenge, our own difficulty as we so often do because we just don't want to deal with it. So we try to act as if everything okay is okay when it's not. Listen, friends, when you refuse the necessity to discern truth, you precipitate harm by placing trust in words that cannot hold your trust. And when you refuse the opportunity to verify truth, you harm others by denying the opportunity for reconciliation, thereby communicating that either God is not able, they are not worthy, or you are not willing. You see, Joseph's test for discernment is as gracious to his brothers as it is for him. He's giving them the opportunity to get right with the truth that they've been living under the lie of. If he short-circuited, he would have heaped Years of condemnation buried it even deeper, but he would not have solved any of it for him. We can't make everything okay in our own way. You cannot make others speak or act truthfully. And you should never forsake anyone the opportunity for reconciliation because of the hurts or wounds that it caused you. But neither should you ever settle for shallow words that forsake truth. Reconciliation comes only through truth. And so the Christ follower's responsibility is to do all we can to discern for ourselves and offer the same for others. Well, this leads us to Genesis 43, where Joseph could have absolved their fear, but he didn't. And so we shouldn't short-circuit the process. Listen, when grace is working, we got to give it time to take its full effect. And here's the fourth danger for today, and I need to be quick with this. The fourth danger is that forgiveness gets short-circuited by unatoned forgetfulness. Forgiveness is short-circuited by unatoned forgetfulness. Food runs thin and Jacob wants them to return to Egypt. But the brothers know we're not going back without Benjamin. I mean, we love Simeon, but he's done for. We're not going back without Benjamin because it's not going to work without him. And then we see the third brother who was specifically named in the offense when it incurred, Judah. Finally, Judah steps up and he gets involved and takes personal responsibility. He tells his father, I will take responsibility for Benjamin's life. If he doesn't return, you take mine instead from me. Listen, friends, when personal responsibility for sin is taken, it's always an indication that grace is working. The evil one never leads you to own your sin. That's the spirit of God in accordance with truth. When people start confessing and repenting sin, God is working. Get out of the way and give it time. And that's what's happening with Judah here. Jacob, he's still stubborn and he's still ruled by fear. All of them are afraid, but they're also hungry. And what we see is so common. People have to come to the end of themselves for they'll fully trust in God. Any temporary solution offered will only shortcut the full atonement being worked out with a false hope. And you see, the pressure from all this is a refining effect that forces the family to deal with the lies and the seed that, quite frankly, they don't even know they're dealing with yet. 
The brothers don't know this is Joseph. They don't know they've been confronted by the biggest lie of their life. Jacob doesn't know what he's been living under the deception of and all the fear that's been fueled in him. And Joseph doesn't know that his brother and his father are alive and waiting to see them. But when they arrive back before Joseph, Joseph realized God is working. I need to keep letting God work and not get in the way of this. And so he sees his younger brother. He prepares a feast. He brings Simeon out and returns him to him. And he tells them as they're trying to go, hey, our money was in our pack. We brought double. He said, don't worry about it. God is the one that returned your money. He didn't say I'm the one. He said, God is the one that returned your money. And then he washes their feet to prepare them for the feast. As they're sitting at the table, he, he, he gets to the anchor point of their reconciliation and says, so is your father still alive? Yes, yes, our father is still alive. And he would like to see all of us alive too. And Joseph said, well, the good thing is God wants me to see him alive. And you see, that's important because Joseph's second dream has not been fulfilled yet. First dream is what? His brothers will bow down to him. The second dream is his brothers and his father would bow down to him. Do not short circuit God's full redemptive work. And so the blessing that Joseph bestows of them, even at the table, their fear will not allow them to receive it. And it got really awkward in this moment because the, the, the ten brothers are, are served their portion. And then Benjamin, like they're just stacking it up, you know, and it's getting higher and higher on the table. And they're all like, what the, why is he, why? Because Benjamin is innocent. His blessing is compounded so much more. Grace is working, those friend, though, friends, and the blessing bestowed as truth is being revealed. There's so much to be learned in the working out of God's grace at work in us. There is a test, and that test is for the process for Joseph to discern the trustworthiness of what's taking place here. And all he's trying to do is to make sure that anywhere that he extends trust to them is based on truth and not fabricated lies and shallow words. And, and he wants them to have time Time to come clean of their own guilt and to get honest with their own sin but he can't do that for them but this is what's occurring at the feast you see the testing and the pressure and the discomfort of it is a time for truth to rise from where it was buried by us so many years ago without all the charged emotions falsely narrating in the moment to deceive us in that listen the process of discernment is beneficial for all because God the one who is truth is always present when truth is discerned and only truth, only truth brings the work of God to bear on any relationship. I beg you, friends, listen. God makes wise and full of grace those who discern truth for gospel reconciliation to honor his name. God does not bring up your unresolved past to condemn you. God invites you to his redemption. And any measure of the Spirit's work in reminding you now of what's not been dealt with that you've gotten past is only an invitation for a deeper, richer, more full experience of the wonder-working power of God in your life. Discerning truth is never about whether you should or can forgive. God makes all forgiveness possible. You know why? Because he forgave you. And as the scripture teaches, if God could forgive you of sin, how could we dare not forgive others who've sinned against us? Discerning truth is about applying forgiveness 
to pursue reconciliation between people. Some people resign themselves that running is easier than facing to rest in grace and truth. But in the gospel, God calls us to him so we can rest in his blessing. It's an invitation for power that redeems, friends. Do not negate the work of God in your life. So I ask you today in conclusion, have you fallen prey to any of the dangers that undermine God's redeeming work in you? And if so, will you repent and turn back to him today and let him have his full way in your life? Let's pray.